Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Father, we do thank you for your Word, and we do thank you that you speak to us through it. And today, Lord, we pray that your Spirit will convict our hearts. Help us to consider what it looks like to stand firm for our faith and to stand up in a culture that tells us um, to disobey you, to be a people that uh, reject you uh, and disrespect you. Help us to be a people, Lord, who will stand firm uh, as Christians, as disciples of Christ, uh, as we hear from chapter 3 in Daniel. Um, Lord, uh, may your spirit work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you guys a question. What does courage look like for you? When you think of courage, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I've been, uh, let me share with you what I thought about when I was thinking about this question. I've been to my fair share of parties, right, over the years. I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be, uh, but I've been to 21st. I still get invited to 21st, which is really nice. Uh, uh, I've been to my fair share of weddings, and you know what courage looks like? It's that moment when the music starts, the lights turn off, and everyone is afraid to be the first person on the dance floor. Right? And then there's this one dude, some, some weirdo, who busts out these Michael Jackson dance moves on the dance floor on his own. And he just is out there, you know, just, you know, popping, locking and all that sort of stuff um, because his love for dancing outweighs the shame he has from others watching. That, to me, that's courage, right? Everyone's watching him. There's one guy, but he doesn't care. Dance like no one's watching. That's what he's doing out there. And then what happens? Usually a few people start dancing, you know, oh, you know a small group of, you know, girls come along and they start swaying, you know. <laughs> And then next thing you know, you know, there's, there's this firework by Katy Perry playing and everyone's out there dancing. It's a karaoke session. And if you're not on the dance floor, if you're not on the dance floor, uh, you know, dancing while Justin Bieber and Beyonce and the bangers are playing, you end up looking like the weirdo, don't you? If you're the one that's not on the dance floor, like, um, like Billy. I've been trying to get Billy on the dance floor for like 15 years now. And Billy, one day you're going to get on the dance floor with me. Still unsuccessful. But to me, that's what courage looks like. Being the first one on the dance floor and dancing like no one cares because you love, your love for dance is greater than what others will think about you. Isn't that courage? What, what do you think about when you think about courage? It, it's easy to think of bravery, you know, that person who runs into the burning house and, and saves the family cat, you know, that's, that's a hero to us, that's, that's, that's courage. But what about courage at an everyday human level? What is it for you? As we get older, isn't courage, uh, doesn't it look like showing up for others? Showing up for others when you might feel socially anxious. It looks like having and sharing a different opinion to your boss or your supervisor in that conference in the, in the meeting room. It looks like expressing your emotion and being vulnerable when you're afraid what people will think about you. Courage will look different for all of us, won't it? But let me ask you today as the church, what will courage look like for us? What will courage look like for us as Christians? How will we have courage to stand as a Christian when your values might not align with the society around you? When your, uh, your beliefs clash with what the workplace expects of you? When you want to prescribe to holiness, but you also want to impress your friends? The Christian who has to face the fear of being excluded from the party, rejected, called a killjoy, humiliated because you stand for a faith that others think is irrelevant or outdated. How will you stand as a Christian? How will you find the courage when the culture around you and I calls us to compromise our faith and God's commands for the sake of conformity? 
this chapter in this life in the life of Daniel is going to help us uh, see where we can find that confidence and the conviction to stand in courage for God. Confidence, conviction, courage for God. If you're here and you're not a believer today, you're not a Christian, I hope this actually inspires you to look to God as well. To look to God who gives us a firm and solid foundation to live for when everything else is temporary or second best. I'm going to break this chapter down to three things. Um, we're, going to see, we're going to see the demand, we're going to see the stand and the heat. Right? The demand of the king, the stand against the king, and the heat from the king. Now remember, we left off last week in chapter 2. We have Daniel living in Babylon. He's not living in his hometown of Israel anymore. He's been exiled to this um, place in Babylon. It's um, the Middle East. It's, it's modern-day Iraq. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, uh, he's, reign, he's reigning. It's the, the 6th century BC. He's in control. And he's promoted this uh, young Israelite, Daniel, to be in the king's court, in his own court as one of the wise men. So in chapter 2, Daniel uh, helped interpret a dream. If you were here last week, we heard about the great dream um, the king had about kingdoms, this great statue with a head made of gold, uh, which was identified to be a prophecy made about King Nebuchadnezzar and his great kingdom, right? Here he is again in chapter 3, and the opening verses tell us that he makes this great statue. Uh, in the opening verses, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, so that's about 27 meters high and about 2.7 meters wide, apparently. Uh, it's a big statue, and it's made out of solid gold. It's built on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon, right? In, in his province, in his land. Uh, and he sets up this image, this statue. And he demands something. The king demands something of the people, doesn't he? To fall down and worship. Look at this language. Let's read again from verse 2 in your Bibles. Follow along with me. Verse 2. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 7, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I'll stop there. Uh, why is that so repetitive? Why can't he just say, all these officials assembled to worship the statue? Why can't he just say, as soon as you hear the music, bow down and worship the statue? Think of the guy who had to write this down. The guy who had to ink and scroll. And man, it's not copy and paste here. Why am I writing this? Why am I repeating this? But it's interesting. It's there for us, isn't it? It's the original account. It's repeated. And I think there's something important going on here. It's being emphasized. One, this list of officials are all these important people in the kingdom. They're all in high ranks. They're coming and they're willing, they're called to bow down to this statue. And so you're already feeling a bit of tension, aren't you? All these people in these high positions are willing to conform. So you know there's going to be trouble if you're not. If you're not going to bow down to the statue, all these other important people are, why aren't you? But secondly, the repetition of all this, the, these musical inc uh, instruments, right? It, it points us to how grand and how extravagant it all is. You know, uh, who here watched the Olympics this year? Only a few people, right? Uh, if you watch the Olympics, you know, the opening ceremony, any opening ceremony of these big sports events, there's lots of music and there's a celebration, there's fireworks. It's this grand display telling it's time to bow down. <laughs> To the king of sport, right? The gods of sport, right? Well, that's the idea, right? It's time to bow down. 
And, and these mu- this music, this grand display, is worship the statue. Worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And it's this big extravagant picture. And so you've got this big event. You've got all these high-ranking officials, these musical instruments that's making a statement. The king wants you to bow down. He's demanding the people to do it. Otherwise, they will be thrown into a, into a fire, a blazing furnace. But let's dig a bit deeper. Let's think about this demand he's making. What is the king trying to establish here? He's built this grand statue and made a grand event of it. Look at where he set it up, the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. This statue that's 27 meters high. A great monument built in the area of Babylon. What does it sound like? Go back in history. Go back to Genesis 11. What were they doing in Genesis 11? If you guys know your Bibles here, if you're, if you're a Christian or you've read your Bible, what happens in Genesis 11? They're trying to build a tower that would reach to the heavens. It was known as the Tower of Babel, built in this area, Babylon. That Babel, Babel became Babylon. What were they trying to accomplish with building this tower? To become like God, to reach the heavens. We've got a king now building a statue that's 27 meters, which is high in that, you know, it's not like our skyscrapers, but it's high during that time. You can imagine back then, what is he trying to do? A statue that reaches the skies. What is he establishing about himself? This ancient pagan king wants to establish himself as great as the gods, doesn't he? Great enough that statue that, that he's made is worthy to, to lie prostrate in front of, to bow down, fall down and worship, he says. Look at what I've created. Look at what I've set up. And Daniel wants us to see that too. King Nebuchadnezzar, he set up this image. How many times, like, I've had to read through this, that word set up, they set up this gold image. It's repeated eight times in the first half of this chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar has set up this image. Why is that repeated? Why is that emphasized? Set up, set up, set up. You've got to go back to chapter 2, verse 20. I think I have this one on the screen for you. See, if you have your Bibles, it's easy to follow. 20, Daniel answered and said, and this is from the English Standard Version, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So in chapter 2, we're hearing about how God sets up kings. And now throughout the first half of chapter 3, we keep hearing about this king, Nebuchadnezzar, setting up this image, this statue of gold. Setting up this image for people to bow down and worship. There's a play on words here, isn't there? Daniel wants us to see this repetition uh, of the, of the, 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 the officials, the musical instruments, Nebuchadnezzar setting up this image. Why? See, King Nebuchadnezzar is going up against the God of the universe. God is the one who sets up kings in the world, though. But Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to leave a legacy, set himself up as the greatest king in history. And so he makes this demand of all the people, bow down to this image. Well, what happens next? We come to Daniel and his three friends, don't we? Uh, They choose not to bow down. They make a stand against this king. From what we read, they literally get ratted out by some of the Babylonian officials who are probably jealous of their position, probably jealous that they got promoted so quickly, probably uh, racist because they're Jewish people as well in the king's court. So this is an opportunity to get rid of them. Let's call, let's, let's dob on them. And the king say, comes to them and says, why aren't you bowing? Are you, do you know the consequences? Do you know you're going to face the heat? You're going to face the fire? And their reply is so key to understanding their heart. Let's go down to verse 16, chapter 3. It says this, just read this in your Bibles with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, 
we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, you've got to understand, right? Bowing down before an image is a big no-no. It doesn't go well with, uh, uh, with, with Israel, right? The first time they bowed down, do you remember the first time they bowed down to a statue of gold? It was in Exodus, wasn't it? There was a golden calf and they all bowed down to it. They know they shouldn't be doing this. They can't do this. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. I've got this, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. It says, I think I've got this on the screen. I'll read it anyways. It says, verse 4, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Right? So there's a, they're in this direct clash of what they believe and what the king demands of them. And so they stand for their faith, don't they? They stand for the rightful king, their God, not the king of Babylon. God himself is the one that they will bow down to. Now, you, you, you can get the whole nation on their knees. You can get the whole nations on their knees to worship this image, but these guys aren't going to conform to the demands of a dictator. It's their conviction, isn't it, to stand and only bow down before the one who is truly on the throne, their God. Again, their, inter- their, their response is so interesting. We are, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, but even if he does not, even if he does not, you can feel the strength of their conviction, can't you? In the heart of the statement, God is able to rescue us, but even if he does not, even if we have to go through the fire, even if we get incinerated by the flames, even if we have to perish and die, we won't bow down. There's so much conviction in that statement that gives them courage. And the great Martin Luther King Jr., right, the civil rights movement, I've got this quote on the screen as well. He said this, the ultimate measure of a man is not the way he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. That's the ultimate measure of a man. You can feel the strength, right, of that conviction. And God, yeah, God is able to rescue us. He's able to do the supernatural. But even if he does not, even if your life is being threatened by the king, they, can hold, they hold to their convictions. They won't bow down. They stand firm, knowing that God is still God, whether they live or whether they die. So there's a demand from the king. They make a stand against the king. Now they have to face the heat of the king, right? The heat uh, that we all face sometimes in life. The narrative goes on. We learn that they get tied up. They get thrown into this pit of fire, so hot that the soldiers throwing them in get burnt and die. But what happens? Let's pick up from verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into this fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Here we read the miraculous rescue of Daniel's friends. God himself shows up in the form of an angel or some divine being right in the fire to be there, protect his people. And remember what we said last week. Remember what we said last week about uh, this narrative? We, it's, it's called Daniel, the book of Daniel. But it's not so much about Daniel. It's not so much about Daniel's friends. Daniel's not the hero. The, these guys aren't the hero. It's the God that Daniel worships. 
God is the hero again in the story. He shows up big time. He comes and he rescues Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the heat. So not even a single hair on their head is singed. Remember, what is Nebuchadnezzar trying to do? He's trying to show the world that he is the supreme leader. God-like. But God shows up. And he shows King Nebuchadnezzar that his power is minute against the God of the universe. This chapter ends with Nebuchadnezzar admitting that truth, that the God of Daniel is so much more powerful than even he. God is the one in charge, and he will deliver his people even from the heat and the fire that surrounds them in Babylon. And so that's the narrative. That's the story that happens in chapter 3. It's about, we hear it, and and you think, oh, wow, there's so much courage there. But really, it's more than courage, and it's about their convictions. I ask you, what does courage look like for you? But I should be asking the question, what are your convictions that give you the courage you need? uh, Daniel and his friends, they have a lot of courage, but it really starts with their convictions. It's about their trust in God. Um, Believe it or not, each day, every day, something is going to contend for your heart in this world. Every moment, our hearts will worship. And they won't be necessarily statues of wood, stone, or gold. But there'll be things that look good and look even harmless. But over time, they'll lead you slowly away from worshiping the true and living God. The culture around you and I, the society that surrounds us, will keep telling you to bow down to their gods. Bow down to success and status and sex. Can't you see everyone else is doing it? Why aren't you? I thought you were cool. Man, that line. I thought you were cool, Mikey. It's got me in so much trouble. Um, We've got to ask ourselves, right? Where will your convictions be when the heat, when the heat right, and the, and the pressures of Babylon come upon you? When your very life, your reputation, your status is threatened. When you know that if you stand against the demands of the culture, you might yourself lose respect and followers and popularity points from your peers. Will you stand in faithfulness? Who or what does your heart belong to? For Daniel's friends, that one line says, says it all, God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. See, they stand because they trust in the goodness and greatness of God. They stand because even if they die, they know they'll be with God. For us as Christians who live on this side of the cross, shouldn't our convictions and our resolve be so much stronger than Daniel's friends in this story? Shouldn't our faith be rock solid? We're able to look back in history they haven't, they haven't seen Jesus yet. We're, we've seen Jesus in history. We've seen the gospel of Jesus. The Messiah has come. And the beauty of the gospel is this. You and I, we've been secured through the grace of God in Jesus. Man, hallelujah. Jesus who went before us into the heat and the flames. His life was threatened. Nails hammered into his hands and his feet on a wooden cross. Mocked and laughed at facing the punishment and hell of God. He went into the fire so that you and I wouldn't have to. He faced the darkness of death so that you and I could have the light of life. Jesus went before us and went went into the wilderness. And when he goes into the wilderness, you know what happens? The devil tempts him at every corner. Yet Jesus stood firm. He was tempted to worship created things instead of the creator. He was told by the devil to bow down and worship, but Jesus stood firm, didn't he? Jesus went before us as our model as the one who also paves the way so that you and I, like Daniel's friends, could know the goodness and greatness of God. You know, and and these guys, they knew the great uh, stories and scriptures. They knew about how they once lived 
uh, the, the people of Israel once lived under the rule of Egypt and Pharaoh and slavery and, and the great Exodus where God rescued them. But for us, on this side of the cross, we know we once lived under the rule and slavery of sin. And God rescued us in love through Jesus. An even greater rescue for humanity because God sacrificed his one and only son. Doesn't that give us so much more confidence? That you are loved by the creator of the universe, that you are treasured by God himself. If you have that, if you know that security in Christ, that confidence in God's love, if you have that conviction that God is real and that his promises are true, and you have an eternity of life with him that awaits you, then shouldn't we all have the courage to stand firm? When the gods of this world, when Babylon tells us to bow down and worship, Daniel's friends, they stood by their convictions that their God is mighty to save, so much more powerful than this little king who threatens their lives. Do you have that same confidence and conviction as you face life and the heat that surrounds you? Honestly, we need to ask ourselves this question. We will, will we stand up to the idols that surround us? Will we be courageous enough to be different, even if it comes at our humiliation, even if it comes at our exclusion? The heat, the fire... It's going to look different for all of us in our different circumstances when we choose to stand for Jesus. Now, it's easy. It isn't easy, is it? I mean, I'd like to say just love Jesus and get on with your life. Just do it. But sometimes our convictions are weak, which means instead of courage, we compromise. In a world that bombards us not to live for Jesus, the easy way out is to compromise. Go along with the grain of culture. Or else find yourself in the fire. And man, that doesn't sound good. I don't want to go through the heat and the flames. I'll just take the easy way out, thanks. I'll just bow down a little bit to the gods of culture. God won't mind. He's, he loves me. I'll just bow down to the idols of, of success and wealth and popularity and vanity. I mean, I still go to church on Sundays. Surely that counts for something if I show up at church. Isn't it so easy to compromise, to justify it? It's so easy to think it's not a big deal. It's so much easier to conform to society because we don't want to deal with being the weirdo who stands up on the dance floor with everyone else staring at us. See, the fear of man becomes greater than our fear of God, doesn't it? I'm not, I'm not a stranger to this. It's, it's not easy. I know that. I mean, for me, it's easy to justify the sin in my heart. It's so much easier to justify and sweep it away and not take my sin seriously. I'm human too, and I hate that I do that. I treat God's love and his grace as cheap, but it's not cheap. It's costly. His love meant the sacrifice of his son. And when I compromise, I spit in the face of his love and his grace. Friends, I don't know what it is specifically for you. It might be something good that your heart really wants, like... Like I've heard this, right? God made love, right? And so doesn't he want me to be loved? Doesn't he want me to be happy? So we say this to ourselves. We want love so desperately, we lash out at our friends who don't give us the love that we want. We, we, we go out looking for sex outside of marriage, hoping it'll fulfill us. Uh, it's not right to be lonely. Why can't someone love me? And we put love on this pedestal. And even though it's something to be good and a gift to us, it becomes the idol we worship above the God who is love above the God who is the source of love, the one who truly we should go to for love. Love itself isn't bad, but when we sin in order to have it, when we're willing to disobey God to get or be loved, who are we worshipping? What are we worshipping? Or when, 
when I've been there, we, we scroll through our social media, right? And, and people on social media don't even know that you're a Christian and you look at your friends' pictures and you're like, you want to be like that. You only share the good pictures, your success stories. They look so successful. And you start entertaining the thought. I mean, if I just give up more time for work, my career, if I just forget about the church stuff, hustle a little bit more, forget about reading my Bible in the mornings, I don't have time for that, I've got to get to work early. Hey, maybe I can be just as successful. And we start making sacrifices, don't we? We say no to our family, we say no to church, we say no to, to God. I, I want to get to that, that status in life. I want to get to that level in my field, in my career. Just, just give me 10 years, I'll get there, and then I'll come back to God. I'll do whatever it takes now. The sacrifices I'll make. Or maybe it's, 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 it's a good thing like family. You know, it's, it's a blessing to have children and to, 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 to have a spouse, and, and, but we care so much about our children and our spouse that their happiness means, okay, I want to make them happy. I don't have time for church. I, don't, I want them to go to sports on Sundays. I want, them, you know, I want to move suburbs to another place where our kids can get into a good school. Forget about church. My child matters more. My husband and wife, they matter more than God. Good things, but they become a priority over God. What about the simple act of even just standing up for Jesus? When your friends around you are paying out Christianity, slandering um, people they see on the TV, Christians, and what Christianity stands for, and you're there. And they know you're a Christian, but you don't say anything. You never said anything before. And they think you're cool with what they're saying. They think you're just, yeah. Ha, 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 I agree. Really? What do they think about Christianity if you're not willing to stand up for it? How does that make Jesus look when you're compromising your faith for the sake of fitting in with your friends and laughing along to their jokes, making fun of your brothers and sisters in Christ, making fun of Jesus? It's so easy. It's so much easier to conform, isn't it? to be like everyone else in those moments. And bit by bit, we compromise. We make sacrifices to worshipping these lesser gods in our lives. Everything is contending for our heart. Everything we pursue is going to come at a cost. And they're not all bad things, right? Like success, love, security, freedom. God made us why to desire these things. They can be good things. But when our hearts, we put them before and above our God, aren't we essentially bowing down to them? I mean, it's so easy to think of the times I made sacrifices for the desires of my heart, but have you guys ever asked yourself, when was the last time I made sacrifices for God? When was the last time you made a stand, consciously, you made a stand for Jesus in your life because you believe he's worth it? It's not easy being a Christian. It's super hard. I find it so hard to live for Jesus every day. And if you are here and you, you think it's easy to be a Christian, then man, you need to take a long look in the mirror because honestly, we've got to be honest with our sin. And we all have it in our hearts. We all struggle with it. If you think you have no sin, you've got to ask your friend. You've got to ask your mom. <laughs> ask your mom, right? It's because every day I do things that I shouldn't do, and every day I do things I don't do the things I should do. What if you stood firm for Jesus instead of the gods of this culture? What would happen? Yes, you might have to face the heat. You'll get judged by others. You might get excluded from social groups. You might look, get looked down on your boss at work because you want to leave work on time. So you can go to Bible study that night. You might get, I had a friend when he, uh, he was in Westfield in Sydney. He was trying to invite someone to go to a church, a stranger. Uh, he was in the bathroom at the time. 
I don't know why he's inviting someone to church while he's in the bathroom, but he's in the bathroom and he got punched in the face by this stranger just because he wanted to invite him to church. That might not happen to all of us, but it happened to him. Things are going to happen that you might not like, that might make you feel uncomfortable. You might lose all your followers on Instagram. Yeah, that's hard. The heat in life will always make us wonder, is standing for Jesus really worth it? I'd rather stay seated. I'll just bow down instead to the gods around me who give me the instant gratification that my heart so desperately wants. That seems more reasonable, doesn't it? Comfort, conformity. Can't I just make compromises in this season of life? Yes, the heat will come, but you can stand. One, you have God's spirit in you that helps you. Two, you can stand when you know that you've got a greater love and security that awaits you, an even greater purpose. We can pray and tap into the spirit that will give you a heart of conviction in God. And you know what? Sometimes when you stand for Jesus, you'll get results that you never even thought could happen. King Nebuchadnezzar, after this, what happened? He promoted Daniel and his friends. He said, this God is real. Worship this God. Get to know this God. Imagine that, standing up for Jesus and your friends go, wow, I can see your heart of conviction and your courage. I want to look into this Jesus that you stand up for. He must be a good God for you to be willing to stand through that humiliation or whatever it might be that you're willing to stand up against. I want to discover more about this Jesus. But on the flip side, you've got to be prepared for the consequences. Remember they said, even if God does not deliver us, even if he doesn't, yes, you might not make it to the top of the corporate ladder because you decided that Sundays was for church. You wanted to serve your church family. You chose not to work on Sundays. Yes, you might not be able to retire early. You might need to continue working a bit longer because, you know, you found out it was better to be more generous with your money and give it to others. So you're not going to retire early because you want to be generous with the money that you have. Yeah, you waited for marriage because you're waiting for God to bring someone who can share your faith with you. You've chosen to be single to serve God and because God is worth it. And they're all sacrifices, aren't they? They're all sacrifices in our culture that's telling you just be happy and do what's right for you. These are all hard choices to make for Jesus. Sacrifices for the dream career, the dream family, the dream retirement plan, whatever it might be. You know what? Jesus says, look to me for your confidence. Look to me for your courage. Look to the Holy Spirit for help. He went before us. Nothing can harm you when your eternity is secured in the hands of the Redeemer. Even if we have to face death tomorrow, if we caught COVID or something else equally life-threatening, we can echo the words of Paul in Philippians 1.21. Got on the screen. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Do we believe that? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Because there will be a deliverance. When I have Jesus, there is no loss. When I have Jesus, I have the courage to walk through the heat in life, knowing that God will be with me in the fire, in this life and the next. Whether we live or die, God still has the final chapter in this story. You know, I have to say this because his friends, Daniel's friends in the story, they had a miraculous rescue, right? But we know that isn't always going to be the case. Sometimes Christians, yeah, they're healed miraculously. It's happened before. Sometimes God does the supernatural that we just can't explain when we pray. But one day we'll all still face death, won't we? Death will still come for all of us. Daniel's friends, they trust God even if he chooses not to rescue them out of their physical, painful circumstances. Friends, there are worse things than death. There are worse things than humiliation. There are worse things than not getting that promotion at work because you're a Christian. You know, what, you know what could be worse? 
You could stand before God and he would, and he would say, I don't know you. And he'd shut the door on your face. That would be worse. You could betray and reject God. That would be worse. There are worse things than physical death, friends. But that doesn't have to be our story when we trust and stand for our faith in the God who loves us. God is present with his people, even through the fires. So look to this God. Look to the God that Daniel's friends here trust in. I want to finish sharing with you about uh, a Christian man who lived in Egypt. His name was Basem. For Christians in Egypt, right, they'd all get this tattoo of a cross on their wrist. It was, a, uh, it was a public declaration of their faith. It was also a permanent reminder to themselves about Jesus. A few years ago, on the 13th of January in 2018, he was walking home with his brother Osama and neighbor Muhammad. They were stopped in the streets by armed men who wanted to check their wrists. Muhammad, the neighbor, didn't have a tattoo. Osama, his brother, had his tattoo hidden under his sleeve. But they grabbed Basem, and seeing his wrists, they asked him, Are you a Christian? He answered, Yes, I am a Christian. And right there in that moment on the street, Basem was shot in the head. He died standing up for the God he worshipped. He had the conviction that gave him the courage to stand. A friend said this about Basem. Basem was a very good man. He didn't renounce the faith. He didn't deny his Lord Jesus. He didn't fear death. Actually, he didn't die, but has won the real life in heaven, enjoying being with Jesus. Now, for us, we most likely in this lifetime, right, in our country here in the West, we won't find ourselves with a gun to our head telling us to renounce Jesus. But the demands of our culture are more subtle. They're more sneaky. It doesn't look like immediate danger, but they'll quietly whisper in our ears, just bow down, just worship. And sooner or later, you'll realize you've abandoned your faith, you've renounced Jesus, and you're far away from God. Friends, our hearts are always going to be swayed by the idols of our culture. And it might sound good, it might feel good temporarily, but man, eternity is a long time. Step back, see the bigger picture. Which God is truly worth bowing down to, to worship? The manufactured gods of our culture or the God we know as Jesus? Let's pray. Father, may today's word from Daniel 3, may that be a wake-up call for all of us. Help us to spend time really reflecting and, and reflecting on our hearts, thinking about the things in our lives that are contending for our hearts, the things that are calling us to bow down and worship, the things in our culture that are so subtle, so sneaky, but are slowly leading us away from knowing you deeper and wanting to love you deeper. God, help us to be a people who, who have your spirit in us, uh, the spirit that we rely and depend on, the spirit that shows us the goodness and great, greatness of the gospel in Jesus. Father, may your spirit be at work in our hearts, your spirit opening our hearts to, to reveal your, 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 your majesty, your goodness and your greatness. Help us to see how awesome you are as our God so that our convictions can be strong so that we can have courage to stand up against those moments in life where we're told to bow down to the gods of culture. God, help us. Help us to be a people who take our faith seriously because we want to make, Jesus, make much of Jesus in our lives. Help us to be your people, Lord, 
who are going to stand up and, and, and vocally and through our lives show people, through our actions, show people that Jesus is worth it. And Father, through that, use us to be an instrument of grace. Use us to be a, 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 a display of your, your goodness and your love in this world so that others around us can see, wow, our God must be a good God. I pray that, Lord, that you'll do that in us by your Spirit. Help us to be your people. Help us to be a shining light in our city. It's in your Son's name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.